Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. This is where we look at various nutrition and fitness-related topics through the lens of application. We want to give you practical takeaways so that you can create your healthiest, best self backed by knowledge. Now, on to the episode with your host, Coach Lisa. Hello, and welcome back to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. My name is Lisa, I'm your host, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with nutrition coach, Brad Jensen from Key Nutrition, also known as the Sober Bodybuilder on Instagram. Welcome to the show, Brad. Thank you for having me. I'm stoked to be here. I'm super stoked to have you on here. Honestly, it's a it's it's a pleasure. It's an honor, and I'm excited to tell people a little bit more about you and your backstory. Um, I'm sure you get asked to tell it all the time, but nonetheless, I'd love to hear how you actually got into nutrition, coaching, fitness, the whole the whole thing. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I grew up, I was kind of a chubby kid, um, that rough age of like 12, 13, 14 years old where kids are just brutal. I, that We should just skip those years. But, um, <laughs> it, you know, I was picked on by my friends. I was teased. I wasn't like shoved in lockers. I wasn't bullied to the point of like, you know, but, but I was picked on by my friends and, um, and that sucked, you know, I was, it, it gets really hot where I'm at in the States and, uh, in Utah, in the summer, it gets really cold in the winter, but it would get, you know, 100, 105 degrees in the in the summertime. And I was wearing like a black T-shirt at the pool like I was that kid because I was so insecure to take my shirt off. And um, and so about 15 years old, uh, I picked up some muscle and fitness magazines and I was just hooked. I was enthralled. Like it was the first time I'd been passionate about anything in my whole entire life. Like I, I remember looking at the magazine and I saw this big ripped dude that made like no sense how I was going to look like that. But I'm like, that's what I want to look like. Like that guy has it. And so I just started reading and I started applying all these, you know, diet tips. Looking back, I probably was applying what was meant for like a bikini girl competitor. Cause I remember I was eating like four egg whites and a half a grapefruit in the morning. Like it was like no calories. And, um, I lost a bunch of weight, but I actually got too skinny. And so, because I also had a growth spurt. So I, um, I wanted to get into the gym. I was doing pushups at home, but, but my mother said, um, that she wasn't, when I turned 16, I got a car. I was, she was welcome to get me a gym pass, but she was not going to take me and pick me up every day. Um, and so the minute I turned 16, I started going to the gym and then I fell in love even more. And then at the gym, um, you know, I found these, these older guys who I'm just so grateful for to these day. And I try to, I try to be nice if there's any young guys in the gym, uh, you know, nowadays, because they, I would go up to them and I would just pick their brain. I'd be like, why are you doing, what's that? And they're like, it's called a drop set. I'm like, why are you doing a drop set? Like I was so, and I started asking them about nutrition and started applying what they were telling me. And, um, I wrote myself like a meal plan on a mead notebook and, um, my body took form. Like I had the radical change I made between my, my, my sophomore year of high school to my junior year. So 16 to 17, I came back to, you know, and I put on. Uh, I mean, I don't even know, probably 20 pounds of muscle in that year. And, um, you know, the hottest girl in school knew who I was. She had no clue who I was the year before. In fact, she thought I was a new guy in school. And I remember <laughs> thinking like, ah, like this is it. I've made it. And it was, um, you know, my the rest of my high school dramatically changed. And I that's when I fell in love with it. I was so into, I was so dedicated. It was, I was so fascinated with how you could manipulate and shape your body, like, change the shape of your body. And I had this beautiful thing called young testosterone working for me because I was seeing these incredible gains and, um, you get those newbie gains. Plus I was just getting this big spurt of testosterone and I fell in love and that's, you know, 
I remember um, that's what I wanted to do the rest of my life. And, and when I was a senior in high school, my mother said, as uh, college, or I mean, as high school was coming to an end, she said, what college do you want to go to? And I was like, mom, why would I want to go to college? I hate school. I literally hate this. Why would I want to keep doing it? She's like, well, you have to do something. You can't just do nothing. And I said, okay. So I got certified as a personal trainer um, before I even graduated high school. And so the minute I graduated, I got a job at, at, a, at a big box gym here that has since closed. And uh, I was the youngest personal trainer they had ever hired at that location. At least I was, I was 18 years old and, and that's, you know, when I got my start and now I'm, I'm 38. So 20 years kind of in and out of the industry, but the last 11 consistently has been all I've known and all I've done. That's awesome. Uh, I want to go back to one thing that you said, which is picking other people's brain at the gym or specifically people more experienced than yourself. And I was actually just talking to someone this morning about this and that I think this is getting lost in the whole thing that everyone is wearing headphones and the whole thing that everyone is, or not everyone, but a lot of people are following a random training, training program, um, some weird apps and so on, and not even looking around themselves, noticing how well other people lift or even just the what they look like and admiring them i in fact i was trying to just start a conversation with this other girl who was doing something interesting at the gym the other day she kind of looked at me weird and then brushed me off and like walked off and was like i was just trying to have a small talk conversation with you where where is this yeah. going? help how come people don't use the gym anymore to like socialize like that and to like leverage from each other I thought that that was really sad I don't know if you personally have made similar experiences or observations yeah you know it's funny I look back in 20 years ago you know even even longer I mean it was 16 when I first started going but 20 22 years ago um it was I mean I remember walking into the gym and I'm still a high school kid and great even even a little bit after high school and everyone knew each other's name We were all like a big, it was a big family community there. We all like, cared what each other was lifting that day. We would get, you know, protein shakes in the pro shop after and chat. And um, it was, you know, nowadays, like between everyone filming their TikTok videos and headphones and it's just a different, it's a different vibe than it was yeah. once upon a time where it was kind of like this family, um, you know, now, uh, it's just different. And and I still have some people that, you know, I've gone to one of the gyms I go to, I've gone um, since I got sober 10 and a half years ago. And there's still some of us that have been going for that long that will still like chat, but we're like all these new people, they want nothing to do with us. And like respect, I get it. You want to go in and get your workout done. But to the point sometimes where I'm like, same thing, I'll try to like, you know, make small chat with a guy and be like, dude, your shoulders look great. And he kind of just picks his headphones off, gives me a look and thanks, man, puts them back in. I'm like, All right, I was just kind of trying to make a little gym relationship here, but that's fine. Yeah, I I agree. I it is a little bit sad, but at the same time, applauding people for getting it done anyway. Um, yeah, you... I do think that it's it's one inherent negative flaw with it is I know from coaching a lot of people. I'm sure you have the same experience that a lot of people that are new to the gym are very intimidated, and in I think it's even more of an intimidating environment now because back in the day, all the super fit people were also like, "Hey, are you new? Like, welcome!" Like they were so much more welcoming. And I'm not saying this still doesn't happen in some small gyms around the country, but um, definitely it was. Uh, it's it caused a little more gym fear, which which is 
you know, and then all the filming, one of my clients was like, I got all embarrassed because I was in this lady's video and then I left and <laughs> I was like, you just got to stay strong, just stay in there. So <laughs> That's a good, good for her to keep it on going anyway. Yeah. Um, you mentioned briefly just then that you got sober about 10 years ago and that was something, um, not necessarily the getting sober, but just how I assume what you would regard as rock bottom, how you how you use that to propel you upwards or like what you use for your daily motivation, for lack of a better word in that instance, and how other people, I guess, can use downtimes in their life to propel them upwards. Yeah, so, you know... I shared the part about me, you know, getting a certified as a personal trainer when 18, there's, there's a big gap of space left there where, you know, I decided to not drink because it was, um, you know, I knew how bad it was for building muscle and, uh, and, but I did want to party. So I started experimenting with, um, opiate pain pills to kind of catch a buzz and I fell in love and it, um, you know, it was a problem off and on early on, and then it, it just got worse, never better. And so just give a little, like, you know, by the end there, I definitely wasn't working in the gym, you know, uh, the last few years of my addiction, the early part, I definitely still managed it. I was, I was definitely an addict, but I was a functioning addict. Like I still had a job, but I would, I would party a lot either on the weekends or like once I got off of work and, um, by the end, I ended up homeless and um, was addicted to heroin and sleeping in my car. Um, and then they repoed my car. I started going to jail a lot. Like the whole, what you would picture, what would happen to a heroin addict is is the life I lived. And so 10 and a half years ago, I was blessed to um, to get sober. And um, it wasn't the first time I tried. It was the probably 50th time I tried. And I always tell that to people that like if you've tried to lose weight, you know, 20 times, you feel like it's never worked. And maybe you just signed up with Lisa or one of her coaches or or any coach out there. Like this might be the time. There was no, no history, nothing about the, the past, you know, however many 40, 49 attempts. I don't really know if it was 50, but I genuinely tried a lot. Showed me that I actually could get and stay sober the 50th time, but I, I had to at least try. I thought, you know what? I'm going to put everything on the line and I'm going to do everything they said this time and I'm going to give it my all and and it worked. And so, but from that rock bottom is where I built this, this foundation and this beautiful life. And I think that we all hit different rock bottoms in our life. Um, for me, it was a very obvious rock bottom of homelessness and drug addiction, but I've hit some rock bottoms, even emotionally in sobriety after, um, you know, I went through a divorce um, two and a half years ago. That was a rough rough time. And I feel like I hit another kind of rock bottom and I didn't pick up and use drugs to cope with it. But, um, we all have these moments and I, I believe like, that's what makes the good times feel so good. Mm -hmm. And if from those moments of rock bottom, like when we feel like we've like, man, I can't go any further. And then sometimes you find out rock bottom had a basement like me, like, I didn't think I could go any further. And then all of a sudden I was like, wow, there's another bottom here. <laughs> But from that place, so much learning and humility can come if we so choose to view it that way. Like it is, it is part of life to experience the really highs. We're going to occasionally go through the lows. And if, if when that, I always talk about life being a big, it's a, it's just riding the waves, the waves will go out and then they will come back in. They'll come back in. The tide will come back in. And if you just ride the tide, but don't try to learn, why did I get so far out there? And like, how did this happen? Like what happened? Like, what could I do better? 
then you're just going to keep riding the wave. But if you can come back to shore and go, wow, like I'm a different person because of that wave took me so low. Like that's how we grow and evolve. And, and I just think it's, it's, it is such a great foundation for continued growth. I always say a lot of times when I'm learning the most is when I'm losing in life. Like, and I say that more like when things aren't going right, when things are really stressful, when things are, you know, challenging, um, when I'm, when I'm winning and doing great, sometimes I don't stop to think like, why is this going well? I'm just like, this is amazing. Like, let's keep doing this. Right. And so, uh, I just think if more people understood and viewed that like those times of you're going to come out the other side, such a better human being, if you choose to use that time for that. I love the analogy with the waves and just the encouragement to pause and, and stop more often to think back and reflect back. I um had a different kind of rock bottom, I, I guess I, I would say. So I used to work as a police officer before um, becoming a nutrition coach. And I was doing shift work with that. And generally, I'm a very happy person. Um, but over the course of the shift work and sleep restriction, training too much at the same time, hormones going down the drain, my mood, my mental health just started to shift. And I didn't even notice it too much at the time myself. Well, I mean, I did in the sense of I woke up and I was just like, oh, if I die today, who cares kind of thing. Um, but it was never like really, quote unquote, bad, I guess. Uh, up until one time, my ex-husband at the time who I was going to sit down with for dinner, he said he grabbed his plate and he went outside on the balcony to eat. And he said to me, I'm not eating with you because you're not the person that I got that I knew you're you're total mentality has changed completely and everything. I was like, whoa, crap, I need to change something. <laughs> and wow. Yeah, that was like, that was like my eye opening moment. And aside from like all the, the hormonal struggles and so on aside, um, from that point onwards, I just knew I needed to take action. And I think sometimes we need that kick in the butt of like, hey, wake up, whether that's from someone else, whether that is our body giving up on us or whatever. So I think sometimes people do need to get to that point instead of just like always cruising along and not like taking half-assed action, I guess. I and mean, we as nutrition coaches see that all the time when it's just like, I kind of want to lose weight, but I kind of don't. <laughs> so they just coast along for like a few months and you're like, well, do you actually want to reach your goals or not? Like, are you... I always say, like, are you interested or are, are you committed? Because there is a big difference between the two. hundred percent. Yeah. Good for you for having that, that, that clarity and doing something different. Cause that's a hard profession, especially when it's the, the graveyard shifts or the shift swings. Like those are, those are challenging. And then the stuff you have to deal with is a very negative environment. I just see, you know, how that could bring someone down, especially if, you know, you were overtraining and, and like, good for you. And I, I think those moments are there and some, I look, you know, I tried to get sober many times early on, but like my life wasn't quite bad enough yet there. Like I would stop for a little bit, but I'd be like, eh, I could go back a little bit. And then I'd go back and I would dabble. And then before I know it, it had a hold of me again. And it's almost like it, I had to ruin everything. And that's not the case for everybody when it comes to, let's say getting sober, for example, or, or even like getting in shape. It's not like you have to, you know, get so horribly out of shape, but it is a good leverage point. I've always said Pain is a very mo good motivating factor. And eventually we have to learn to get 
motivated towards excellence instead of just away from pain. Mm. Because if we, if our only motivation is away from pain, we will only get so far before, you know, you've, you've seen this with so many clients, right? Where a lot of you listening out there can relate. You're in some pain. You hate what you see in the mirror. You're like, this is gross. You don't fit in your clothes or you just feel awful. You feel dead. And you start making some changes. And before you know it, a few months down the road, you're like, oh, this looks pretty good. I don't hate this as much. Even though you probably have much further to go with your goals, this you get complacent. Like this yeah. complacency sits in because the only motivation you've been relying on is from pain. Mm-hmm. And so if we could switch that, eventually I tell clients, pain is a great motivating factor. Like if you're in a lot of pain, that's the rock bottom. You're probably going to do something different. And I was so committed to doing something different because I was in so much pain. Mm-hmm. Like the pain of facing early sobriety was seemed far more doable than the pain I was currently going through. And eventually along that process, I realized like, no, I don't want to just be motivated away from pain because I could feel that complacency setting in. And so I start, and excellence can look different for everybody. So out there listening, I tell clients, we got to get you motivated towards excellence. And they're like, well, I don't want to have a six pack. And I'm like, for some people that is excellence. For some people, excellence is just feeling every day like you are a healthy and fit human being who takes care of themselves. You feel good. You have energy. Your, your body feels good. Your digestion feels good. Like that could be excellence for you, right? The funny thing is I was um, also just saying that to someone else. Sometimes we don't even know what good can feel like or how much better we can feel. So those people that constantly cruise on five, six hours of sleep and they're like, oh, I'm fine. I can, you know, I'm, I'm doing good. I don't know what could be better. And then you get them to sleep for like seven hours or so for a while. And they're like, whoa, I did not know. Or when you're just so in tune with your body, if you're generally 90% of the time eating reasonably well, and um, I think you notice, or and then you go back to like eating crap for a little while, maybe you're traveling or something like that. And you're like, wow, how do some people eat like this all the time? Or how did I used to eat like this all the time? I don't even know my digestion is off everything. So sometimes we don't know what good can can actually feel like. I've always said as human beings, we have most of us have no idea how good we're designed to feel until we actually start feeling better. And I, I love it when clients over the years have said, Oh man, you know, let's say they blew their numbers out of the water one Friday night, but they're like, honestly, I'm like, well, the taste good at least. Yeah. But I felt like absolute shit and I was like, good. And they're like, good. Good Because now they go, I don't know how I used to eat like this all the time. You used to eat like this all the time because that was your norm. Your baseline was feeling crappy. So it didn't feel any different. Now you, you know what it feels like to feel good most days. So when you don't, it doesn't feel good. And I said, how beautiful is that? Like I, I've always told people, I, I went to a party, um, over Christmas and this guy had these, these, these massive cookies. They're called crumble cookies and they're like 700 calories a cookie. Right. I mean, they're huge. And when I walked in, he said, and he had, he had like 50 of them. And he said, dude, you want a cookie? And I said, no, I'm okay. And he said, oh, Mr. Fitness can't have a cookie. And I said, no, I can absolutely have a cookie if I want. I said, I just don't want to, because I don't want to feel like crap for the party. And he could not comprehend what I was saying. He looked at me with this blank stare and he goes, what do you mean? And I go, well, my stomach will hurt. I'll probably end up in the bathroom. I just feel kind of like I feel an insulin crash. I just don't feel great. And he could not comprehend because he's not into health and fitness. What I I could eat the cookie if I wanted to. It wasn't that I was scared one cookie would make me fat. It's because I know how they make me feel. And again, a small cookie I could do. I didn't even want me. And because I wanted to feel good. 
That's why. I, and when that can be your leverage point to say no sometimes to the big dessert, not because you think you can't because of fear, but because you don't want to feel like crap, then you're starting to make it. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love that comparison or um, that example there. And um, yeah, I, I think oftentimes people also use like big things like, um, oh, I found out my partner is pregnant or I found out uh, I, I want to get motivated for a vacation or whatever. That can be, of course, um, you know, leverage points or motivational external things towards a positive Um. But again, like you say, if we don't build on them and it's just a short term goal and nothing beyond that, I mean, of course, having a child, that's a, a long term <laughs> motivator. Um, but some of these other ones, maybe not so much. Um, yeah, then then we're probably not going down the right route. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I, I want to pick your brain a little bit more about um, all your training expertise, because I was saying before we started recording how much I like uh, all your correctional training videos on Instagram. So if everyone who's not following Brett on there yet, um, definitely do so, because there are some great tips in the sense of, um, you know, get the most out of what you're actually doing in there. We all want to be efficient. We want to not just go into the gym and dabble around a bit or have work out a shortened range of motions, of course, if it's unintentional or so. So yeah, I'd be curious to hear if um, if you have a few pointers, like things that people tend to get the most wrong, whether that be exercises or rep ranges or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I think what it comes, I think some of the the biggest myth, myths when it comes to lifting and obviously like we know these but i always forget that some of just everyday people still believe that like higher reps and lower weight will make you toned and heavier weights and lower reps will, will make you bulky and, and just you can build a ton of muscle on higher reps if you're going to failure like this is it's not a matter of and and toned by the way is just all people are talking about when you have to build muscle and then lose body fat and then you look toned. Um, and so that is when I still see, uh, you know, I'm always surprised when people are like, well, I've been doing higher reps because I just want to tone. I was like, so that's not really how it works um, at all. In fact, you know, if you're a female, you probably shouldn't. It's really hard, as you know, to pack on a ton of muscle. It's very, very difficult. And it's almost insulting when people are like, I don't want to get bulky. I'm like, trust me, there's girls that are <laughs> so heavy all the time, like five days a week for years and are still not bulky. In fact, they want more bulk, right? Um, it's very challenging. And so that's one of them. And then I think just, I think what you, you alluded to earlier, I think is one of the biggest pitfalls when it comes to training and that's not following an actual plan. Mm -hmm. uh, just going in each day and kind of winging it, seeing what's available. There's no real set structure. Um, you know, that's one reason why, you, if you lift and you feel like you don't look like you lift weights, um, that's probably one reason why, if you're not doing that is just, or program hopping, they, you know, they download one app and they're like, oh, I did a couple of workouts, but I don't like those exercises on there. So then I'm going to follow this bodybuilding.com thing. If that's still a thing, I don't know. And then, and then, <laughs> you know, their friends like, Hey, let's go work out. So then they do a friend's few workouts with a friend and then they're back to just kind of doing their own thing. And then, um, Pick a plan and stick to it, I think is, you know, and there's a lot of good training apps out there. This is why I believe in coaching too, where it's even a little more individualized to you based off, 
you know, what you have available, your injury history, your goals, like what areas on your body you really want to focus on. And so I think an individualized approach is great. But even if you're out there creating your own, create something and stick to it, you know, um, and then, and then the last one, and I always, I not really the last one, the last one I was going to bring up, but is, and I get, I always get um, a little hesitant to bring this up because I think for a brand new person, this probably is not very relevant, like brand, brand new. But once you've been in the gym a little bit, and if you're actually, like you said, you're committed instead of just interested, um, the, the order of your workouts matters. Meaning like I, I, you know, if you're going in the very beginning and I've had clients, they're brand new to the gym and like, I might have, you know, um, a leg press or a barbell squat as their first exercise, a compound lift, and but it was taken. So they did all their accessory stuff and their isolation movements, like hamstring curls or leg extensions first, and then did those. And I'm like, Oh, so I'm just glad you did them, but moving forward, maybe this, <laughs> Once you've been going for a while, like, um, you know, doing your comp, doing the, the heaviest, the most taxing compound lifts, like in the beginning of your workout is always going to be the most advantageous for you. You're going to feel the strongest. You're going to be able to push the most weight. Um, you're going to have more muscular endurance. And so I, I do see clients sometimes just be like, well, I just kind of did whatever. And the reality is the order selection matters. But again, if you're brand new, I'm just glad you're going and you're following a plan, even if it's not in order. But I do think sometimes uh, that is misunderstood, even with people who've been going for a while, that there's a reason why if they're working with you, for example, that you have things in an order that they're in. Absolutely. That was, uh, I've, I've just started um, a new training program, which I actually have not designed myself. So it's a program um for hypertrophy and so i'm working with a different coach as well because sometimes i think if we especially if we want to address um weak points or our weaknesses we ourselves are sometimes not the best people to design our programs so anyway she actually purposefully um had me do like leg extensions before my squats and so on and one of the first questions i asked her was like why are you doing that she's like oh we want to do some pre-fatigue uh, yeah exercises here and so yeah for me that was new because same and I see the point in this specific case too but generally speaking I I I 100% agree with you that we want to have the things where our central nervous system has to be freshest we want to be most activated and most um you know is still able to perform well in the beginning and then having sort of the accessory exercises later on you but, made a good point though. The more advanced you get, like I will often have some pre-exhaust movements before my compound because now we're trying to challenge those compound lifts even more because yeah. we've been doing them for so long for so many years that we're trying to kind of up the ante with them and our muscular endurance is much better. So there definitely are caveats and exceptions. Um, but a classic example right there is like you hired somebody, it's in that order. So you're following in that order and doing something different, right? And so totally. um you know, but again, it just comes back to a plan. I have one of my coaches, actually, I pay him to program my stuff each month because I was, I did uh, our mutual friend Cody's app for, for quite a while. And I went through two or three different programs on there. And then I started just kind of doing my own. And as you know, I'm like, oh, I'll program this. And then I'm like, <laughs> you should probably put some Bulgarian split squats, but I'm like, I don't want to, they suck. I'm not going to do them, you know? And, um, and so I actually, I pay one of my coaches and he's very smart with it. And, uh, 
And that keeps me accountable to do them. And he does have me do some different things and unorthodox, but um, yeah. So just, just don't, don't just like, if you're brand new and you're just interested, cool. Like you can kind of go, just go. I'm just happy you went in there. I just need to make that abundantly clear. But once you've made that switch from interested, which I love you brought up, I've said that a lot to people interested to like, I'm committed to this now, like get a plan and stick to it, you know? Yeah, I would, I would add at this as the second um, thing that I do see um, in terms of mistakes that people make. Um, and, and again, that's probably not so relevant for people that are brand new, but I do think on average, also speaking from personal experience, um, people don't push hard enough. Like oh. people don't truly understand what RPE or RIR or whatever stands for. And they, they think like, oh, I feel my muscle. Okay. Now it's, <laughs> now that means I'm challenged. No, no, no. Like, and there are tons of studies out there actually proving this. Whereas like when people rate their own, um, RPE as like an eight or nine, they could actually still do six or seven more reps. So that means they are like far, far far away from failure so I do think that on average people don't go to failure often enough anymore or at least get don't get close enough and especially on those accessory lifts like we can totally go to failure a lot and yeah, yeah. so I I think compound is a different great point yeah great point um I, I would agree with that a hundred percent. And I've seen that time and time again. And I've even noticed in myself sometimes where I'm like, I train alone a lot. And uh, so my heavy compound lifts like squats, I'm going close to failure, but I'm not going all the way to failure, mostly for a safety issue. And our central nervous system needs a little, you know, but when I'm doing, you know, a leg extension and the worst thing that happens is I just drop the weight back down or a bicep curl, right? There's not a huge risk of injury there. Um, I, I'm always surprised on when I have people come train with me and I'm not like training like I used to for one of bodybuilding shows where I was going even more intense, but I'm always surprised how these people who are, who have been going for quite a while are like, man, that was one of the hardest workouts. And I'm even thinking that was just pretty normal. Like that was not like my most intense day. And it's simply just do this. The second people feel a burn, I had a, I had a guest on my podcast. Um, and it was Jessica Gunn, and she calls it death plus three. I would even say it's often plus three. It's more than plus three. But her whole theory was that right when you feel like you're dying, you really have three more. That's so it's like the minute you feel like, oh, this is oh, like death, like this is hard is really when you're actually getting that full lack, you're getting that all that blood flow. You could actually go three more. And so death plus three, like the minute I like, like that. that, that sticks in the brain. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And, I, and I, I totally agree with that. But I would agree with you. Sometimes it's more like death plus six, because depending on what movement you're feeling, you might feel that burn. You feel that, oh, like this is getting hard. You feel you, your quads or whatever muscle group biceps are one that like you'll all of a sudden just feel burning. But really, you might have five more. But if you use that as kind of a gauge like death plus three, the minute I feel like I'm dying, at least crank out three more. And it's always cool to watch people actually go, holy crap, I didn't think I had three more in me. And I'm like, you exactly. probably got five, but at least you got three. Like, <laughs> Exactly. You know. Yeah. And I think um, especially when you start a new program or so, it, it is worth for most of these exercises or at least accessory exercises to take it to failure so that then even if your program stays 
I don't know, um, RP8 or whatever, so that then you have a reference point mm -hmm. for potential future, not to like nail yourself in because it changes obviously week by week, um, but but still so that you know what you're capable of. So I think that that's where a lot of people really go wrong because they're like, oh, it just says RP8, I'll just stop where I think it's about 80%, but yeah, no. <laughs> yes. I would agree with that 100%. I actually just filmed a video on that I haven't released yet, but that that is one reason why um, you might not look like you lift weights is mm -hmm. you don't simply push it hard enough. And I think this is where a value of a training partner does come in sometimes is somebody to push you a little more. So then you're like, oh, that's pushing myself. The key is to find a training partner who will actually push you. That's not yes. just on the phone when they're, <laughs> you know, but it's, um, man, I, I, I've always told people, like people have come up to me and be like, oh, you may, must spend hours a day in the gym. I'm like, no, I couldn't. With the way I train, it's like 50 minute training sessions, like with my actual strength training. And then, you know, depending on where my steps are, maybe I do some cardio, but um, occasionally, you know, like if I'm, if I'm, you know, chatting with some friends at the gym, it'll go longer, but actual like workout time, 45 minutes to an hour, I'm pretty toast because I'm using the intensity and I'm trying to practice progressive overload. And so I'm all about quantity over quantity. I mean, like the quality of your sets will determine like really the quantity you have to do. Like if you're doing them to see the results you want, right? hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, overall with lifting, what's your, what's your idea on like how, how it really transfers to other areas or aspects of our life? I mean, they show more and more people say more and more, oh, I feel more confident perhaps, or um, even just in terms of longevity and um, hormone health and so on. Um, do you also see a big trans transfer or um, carryover in your clients and yourself? Oh yeah. I, I just think it's, if we all could, if, if everybody could strength train three times a week and, and our, our health issues, like we're consistent with it, our health issues would be dramatically knocked down. Now, obviously we still have the fact that we sit too much and that our food quality, um, you know, is especially in the States is just garbage. But, um, if strength training is such a powerful tool for not only keeping you, um, young, um, younger and healthier live a longer time. I mean, this whole kind of myth that, you know, well, you know, metabolism slows down as you age, more and more studies are coming to show that, that the only reason, one of the biggest factors of why it would slow down with age outside of maybe post um, um, menopause hormones, there is some other factors, but is simply due to the fact that we're slowly um, atrophying muscle tissue. So the less muscle we have on us, the, obviously the, the slower our basal metabolic rate is going to be. And so we get too sedentary and we're not lifting. So those two things combined. Um, yeah, absolutely. We're going to see a decline in metabolism, but there's nothing about it that says like, hey, when Lisa hits 50, her metabolism is gonzo tanks. If she keeps doing everything that you're doing now, again, there's some, there's some stuff with hormones and I'm not saying that doesn't play into it, but you should be able to still be in pretty damn good shape. And so, and you see people that are in great shape, that metabolisms have not slowed down. And one thing they've consistently kept doing is they've kept strength training and moving their body. Um, so that is a huge thing. Um, I always get so bugged when people are like, well, you know, the 40 year old metabolism. I'm like, no, that's not a thing. You quit working out for a decade. That's why your metabolism is slow. Yeah. Uh, you don't move as much as you used to when you were in your twenties. So and I just think, like you said, it's just so empowering, um, especially for females, not to be gender biased here, but 
just watching some of my females hit PRs, they just, you feel strong, you feel empowered. And I believe that transfers into other areas. It's funny. I had a client uh, who had never really lifted before working with me and she is, loves it now. She trains four times a week, every single week. She has for years. I stay in touch with her here and there. She's not a current client. And she said, you know, what was really cool was when we were working together, she said, I, we were moving and I had to help pick up an armoire and I, I, I squatted down and I like almost deadlifted, deadlifted that thing up. And my husband was like, what the crap? And I was like, let's walk. <laughs> so we moved it down the hallway and she goes, I never thought, she goes, I know this sounds silly, but I never thought of how all that strength in the gym will actually transfer into actually usable things in my life. And this is why I do like lifts like deadlifts or squat, these things that will help you with everyday life. Like she was stronger and could actually help her husband move that. And I know that seems silly, but she goes, I felt like a badass after my husband was like, what? She's like, I'm not lifting for nothing, honey. Um, and then on top of that, I've always said, and I know, you know, this one might sound a little odd, but I, I believe that sometimes, especially under a heavy squat bar, it is a spiritual experience. Like okay. you have to tap in to this different <laughs> part of you, or like you said, going to failure on those last few reps, especially on legs, like where you got all that blood flows going from your head to your legs and they're on fire and you have to tap into this other dimension for those last, like I close my eyes and I just go to this different place. And when you step off a squat bar and you're trying to hit a PR and that weight feels so heavy on your back as you back up instantly, your brain's like, you can't do this. And it is this whole spiritual thing where I'm like, no, you're a badass. You got to <laughs> overcome in the moment that feeling that will hit you every time, which is like, shit, this is too heavy. And then you do it. And that is so empowering. I just think lifting, um, and again, if your goal, like people's goals are not to build muscle, cool, still strength train. Trust me, it's really hard to build muscle. You're going to find you're going to look really good. You're going to look mean. And everyone wants this, you know, they want to change the shape of their body. And what they really mean is I want less body fat and I want more muscle, right? Definitely. Yeah. The And the empowering thing is such a big one. But I think also like taking that even further, a few decades, even further just the independence that you gain through that strength, like you said, like you can still pick up your own groceries, maybe even your great grandchildren or like just walking places. It's, it's, it's incredible being living in unassisted. I think, I mean, who, who doesn't have that as their goal in their eighties, nineties, or just generally throughout their lifespan. I think that's probably 100%. the biggest one. Yeah. And, and I think also um, often people say, oh, I don't have the energy to work out, but I really think we underestimate how much energy we get back from it. Yes, of course, after your training, first thing you are feeling a little bit exhausted, but um, overall people that are in a routine with regular exercise, overall, they have so much more energy. And of course, also the carryovers into like brain health and so on, cognitive function, huge. So you even perform better at your job and like literally literally everything. I mean, they, they say, even if you don't change a thing about your diet, your sleep or whatever, and you start working out on a consistent basis, you're going to be better off. <laughs> yeah. I was just reading a, a study was uh, talking about Alzheimer's and the fact that strength training over a continuous amount of years um, can really help offset that or to like push it off altogether because of the effect on brain health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just think 
if 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 everybody could just strength train three times a week for even 30 minutes, I would love more. But like that's an hour and a half your week. I think you'd be amazed at consistently what that would do for your life. I just, man, it would just, it's, it's so empowering. And I just, I wish more people would do it. Amen. I can only underline that. <laughs> Brad, I, I want to thank you so much for your time. I want to honor your time. So um, thanks for coming on to today's show. And I feel like we could have kept on talking for a lot longer, but maybe we'll have a repeat at some point. Absolutely. Um, anytime. But yeah, if you want to leave us with your social media handles, um, and as I said, I'll put them into the show notes as well. But um, otherwise, thank you for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. So the best place to find me is on Instagram and it's just at the sober bodybuilder. And, uh, uh, that is where I am the most active. Uh, you can, uh, you can find me there and then, um, it's the key nutrition podcast on all platforms. So I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review or share the episode on social. Very much appreciated. You can also follow us on Instagram at Nutrition Coaching and Life or head to our website, www.nutritioncoachingandlife.com, where we provide more valuable content. Have a wonderful day. Now go out and work on your best self.